Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. You know, too many folks just misunderstand bonds, how they work, what role they're going to play in a proper financial plan, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to address all those bond-related issues on today's show and help you out a little bit. Because as David teased last time around on the podcast, many of you, even if you don't think you have bonds in your portfolio, they're likely hiding in there somewhere. And so you're probably impacted by what happens to bonds, even if you don't think you are. So that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. I'm Walter Storholt alongside David Dickens, President, Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors, based in Overland Park, serving you wherever you are, though. You can find us online at coveryourassetskc.com and all of David's contact info in the description of today's show. David, good to be with you this week. How are you? Well, let's see. I'm um, pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think what why I would say that. Life is good. The sun's shining. It's a beautiful fall. <laughs> Chiefs are playing pretty well. Spend a little quality time with my grandsons. You know, life's pretty good. You, you can't complain. Can't complain. That is. You uh, could. I like but your attitude. Honestly. <laughs> You know, who's going who's gonna to listen to that? Yeah, that's too fun. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're doing well, and uh, you got a lot of good things happening in your life outside of work, and I know that you enjoy going to work every day, too, helping people out when it comes to their retirement and finances, and uh, that's why I think this topic today kind of rose into, uh, into your consciousness because we said, hey— Everybody's dealing with bonds, and bonds have been in the news quite a bit the last, I don't know, several months or years. I don't know the right way to maybe categorize that statement, but uh, we've all heard about the demise of bonds, the risk of bonds, but at the same time, the old sayings have always said bonds are good, so we're kind of all over the map trying to figure out bonds in our financial lives, and so I'm wondering if maybe that's where we can start, David. Why is there just so much misunderstanding about bonds? Can we understand maybe how they work and use that as a scene setter? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. So my first 25 years in the investment business was all bonds. And so they can be a little tricky because most people, <laughs> there hasn't been much to pay attention to, especially over the last 10 or 15 years since interest rates have been so low. A bond is nothing more than an obligation to repay a debt at maturity and pay some semi-annual interest all along the way. So you might say, well, you know, that sounds a lot like my car loan or my house loan. And there is an analogy to be made there. So, so if you don't pay your car loan, well, what does the bank do? Uh, they take your car back. Comes and gets the, <laughs> your car. What if you don't pay I had pay to think about home? it for a second, but I was like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what if you don't pay your home loan? They just come and get it. What if you don't pay your home loan? Kind of the same thing, right? They just come and get it. Yeah. Well, if you don't pay the interest that's due on your bonds, then the people who bought your bonds, they get to push you into bankruptcy or get in a room with a bunch of attorneys and twist you into some new terms on your bonds, maybe like raise the interest rates. Or they get to say, you know, I just want to take an equity position, an ownership position in your company. And I get to do all those things because there are covenants built into the bonds that say, if you don't pay, here's what I get to do to you. So it's a very, very ironclad agreement that you're going to borrow money and you're going to pay back interest. And at the maturity, you're going to pay back the principal that you owe. Uh, an important feature there is 
you may not have the principal. You may have to reissue new bonds to have the ability to pay off the old holders. That doesn't matter. But those old holders are going to get paid or else you're in default and you don't want to be in default because they have a lot of power over you. That's a great point. All right. So a good little scene setter for bonds. And then there are things like bond funds. Can we understand the difference between that and owning an individual bond? Yeah, we sure can. And, and the reason that we're covering all this is because everybody listening to me, it's inconceivable that all of our listeners don't have a bond component in their 401k or in their other investment portfolio somewhere. You own bonds, you may not know it. So owning a bond mutual fund is way different than owning an individual bond. So a mutual fund of bonds never matures. Remember I said you would get semi-annual interest payments and principal repaid to you at maturity. Well, your mutual fund doesn't mature. So if you own a bond, an actual bond, you might have paid 100 cents on the dollar for it. And in the middle of the, let's say it's a two-year bond, and, and with one year left to go, the bond might be worth 98 cents on the dollar or 102 cents on the dollar. It might have gone up or down in value, and I'll cover why that is in just a minute. But at maturity, it's worth 100 cents on the dollar again. So what you know for sure is that regardless of what happens during the term of the bond, it's going to mature at 100 cents on the dollar plus interest. Mutual funds never mature. So the loss you incur in your bond mutual fund doesn't necessarily ever have to be made up. And then right in the middle of those two are some bond ETFs, some exchange-traded funds that actually do mature. And, I, and in a lot of my client portfolios, I use uh, uh, some ETFs by Invesco. They're called bullet shares. So I'm thinking of one that has a ticker symbol of BSCN. And those are, it's made up of a couple of hundred different bonds that all mature in 2023. So unlike a mutual fund, this ETF actually does mature because all of the bonds in it are going to mature during 2023. So that's a little bit of difference between a mutual fund, an ETF, and an individual bond and how those work as far as the big difference being uh, the, the actual maturity of the bond. Helpful to get that perspective. Thank you, David. Um, so as we look at individual bonds, bond funds, uh, let's unpeel this onion a little bit more. How often do you see people who are invested in these things? I kind of teased at this at the <laughs> top of the show, and they don't even realize it. Like, like if you asked me, I would probably say, no, I don't think I'm in any bonds, but I'd probably be wrong, I'm guessing. You would, let's say that, the vast majority of Americans own some sort of target date maturity fund, yep. Yep. especially in their 401k, because those are the easiest things to invest in. I'm going to retire in 2030, so I'm going to buy the target date 2030 fund. Younger people would say, oh, I'm not going to retire till 2055, so I'm going to get the 2055 target date fund. Well, if you have the 2025, you're going to, re mature, you're going to re retire in a couple of years. About 40% of that target date mutual fund is in bonds. Now, we don't know whether they're one-year bonds or two-year bonds or five-year bonds or 15-year bonds. We could find out. But 40% of that particular target date mutual fund is in bonds. Even if you own a 2060 target date fund, 
you're not going to retire for 40 years. That probably has five, seven, eight percent bonds. Very rarely is that 100% stocks. So that's how most people end up with bonds in their portfolio. If they work with an advisor like similar to us who are active managers, well, right now you might have <laughs> you might have 30 or 40 percent of your account in a money market fund, which is basically an overnight bond, and another 30 or 40 or 50 percent in short-term bonds. So it's just it's a way to add uh, safety and security to a portfolio when the stock market gyrations are all over the place. But virtually everybody within our earshot has some allocation to bonds, usually through a target date fund. Good to know that. Yep. And so I can now raise my hand and say, <laughs> I you own bonds. You can proudly raise and your hand as an owner of understand bonds. It. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I know that there is, whenever we hear bonds discussed, uh, there's always this relationship that's apparent between interest rates and bond values. That's why we've heard so much about bonds over the last couple of years, because interest rates at all time lows, then you know raising interest rates, and then you know now interest rates firing up every month. It seems we're getting you know new notices of increasing rates. So, can you talk about that relationship a little bit? Sure. So, I'm not going to use really any math here, but it's all math based, and so it's based on the the amount of the coupon, the amount of the interest which is called a coupon that you earn and how long it is before the principal is repaid to you. But bonds have an inverse mathematical relationship to interest rates. When interest rates go up, the value of your bond falls. If you have a, a bond that matures in one month, it's going to fall a little bit because you're very close to the time when you get your principal repaid. If you have a 30-year bond and interest rates rise, that price is going to fall a lot because the biggest portion of the cash flow that you're going to get from that bond happens in 30 years when you get the interest repaid to you. So here's a way to think about that in super simple terms without using any math. Let's say that you own a bond and it pays 4% interest, 2% every six months. And that's contractual. Nobody can change that. And let's say that rates fall. So now the same bond, the, the, the issuer can issue the same bond, but now instead of 4%, they only have to pay 3% to the new owner. You own this 4% bond and you need to sell it. But you have something that's more valuable now because you're earning 4% contractually. Whereas the new guys, they're only going to earn 3%. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not going to sell my $10,000 bond for $10,000. It's worth more than that because the interest rate I earn is higher than market. So what you would do, and any buyer of that bond would be totally happy to do, is to pay you a premium for that bond. Interest rates fell. The value of your bond went up. Why? Because the issuer is going to keep paying you or the next owner 4%. Whereas a new bond, the, the new investor is only going to get 3 Exactly the reverse. If you own a 4% bond and now anybody and their brother can get a 5% yield, but you need to sell your bond. Well, nobody's going to pay you a hundred cents on the dollar for your bond because your interest rate is four and the new interest rate for new bonds is five. So you just have to take a little discount on that bond. Maybe instead of 
$10,000 for your $10,000 bond. The math would tell the new owner that he or she should only pay $9,700 for that $10,000 bond. And the $300 difference is going to pay them over time for only getting 4% interest when they could have, should have had 5%. So it's really intuitive as to why interest rates and bond prices go in opposite, inverse directions. And hopefully that's helpful. That is helpful. Uh, certainly can understand that, David. So I know that uh, something else as we talk about bonds is that a lot of people consider them to be safe. They consider them to be conservative um, parts of their portfolio. We've kind of heard that for a long period of time, right? Get out of stocks and into bonds as you get older seems to be that boiled down advice. So do you agree with that approach? Is that still accurate in today's world? Uh, if somebody comes into your office with that sort of notion, how do you handle it? Well, the high-level answer is yes, that's true. Investment-grade bonds, you hold them to maturity. You get your interest all along the way in principle at maturity, and no defaults happen. And so that's a relatively conservative approach. No, if you're talking about junk bonds. Junk bonds are issued by companies that are at a higher risk of defaulting on their obligations. So in that case, you get a higher yield. The the difficult thing about owning bonds over the last year has been that if you sold your stocks in February, March, April, May, and you said, I'm going to get into some conservative bonds, the difficulty is that the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates. And we just said that, that your bond price has an inverse relationship with interest rates. So as the Fed has been raising interest rates, the value of your bonds has been going down. Longer bonds have gone down more in value. Shorter bonds have gone down less in value. But, and, and, and this has been the most dramatic raising of interest rates, I'm going to say ever. Now, ever is a long time, but we started at basically zero. And now we're all the way up to roughly 4% on a two-year treasury. So this has been dramatic, which is why if you thought you had a pretty conservative portfolio, and you look at it today and say, well, the stock market's down 24%, but my supposedly conservative 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio is down 19%. How can that be? Well, that's because the, ra- the rise in interest rates has been dramatic since the Fed started raising rates about six months ago. Yeah, it's been uh, kind of a rude awakening on many. Uh, the word interest rate, I know, is a little bit different when we're talking about the Fed rate versus mortgages, even though a lot of people, their mindset goes to mortgages, but just another another angle where everybody feels like they're getting hit right now. Right, David? Like Just looking at those interest rates now skyrocketing to 7% when they were just next to nothing a while back is, is really something exactly. to hold too. So, so you know that, you're, that your mortgage rates have gone up, and then you look at your bank account and you say, well, wait a minute. My bank is my bank or credit union for the most part. They're not paying me anymore for the deposits I have. So how does that work? But if you look at the money market account that you own in your brokerage account, that actually has gone up fairly significantly. So instead of earning, you know, one tenth of one percent at your bank, you might be earning two percent on your money market account at the brokerage company that you have your assets held at. And that's why all of a sudden money market accounts, cash per se, uh, has become an asset class, whereas it used to be earning zero and it would look like money that was wasting away. 
one thing I should maybe just circle back. I mentioned junk bonds. And what I just want to clarify is that uh, there are three big rating companies in America, Moody's, Standard Poor's, and Fitch, and they rate bonds regarding their ability to repay you as a bondholder. And a junk bond is merely anything rated below triple B. Easy thing to Google if you want more information on that, but, but that's what I mean when I say a junk bond. All right, so that's the skinny on junk bonds. So to put a bow on the conversation here, David, anything else that you find helpful to share with your clients about bonds when the subject comes up or anything that uh, we should definitely highlight as a part of this conversation today? Well, I would say that notwithstanding the last six months where the Fed has been dramatically raising interest rates, they're not done, but they're pretty close to being done. So I would say that bonds actually do and will act as a shock absorber for your retirement portfolio. Um, they can be used for risk-taking. For instance, if you wanted to take risk right now and say, I think, I think I can make a lot of money in the bond market, then what you'd probably do, since rates have come up quite a bit, is to go out into long maturities now, because as rates stabilize or go down, they'll, have, they'll increase in value as opposed to the decrease in value that they've just had. So, so that's one thing. I, there are ways to take risk with bonds, but going forward, they're much more likely to retain their shock absorber attributes and not create a drag on your portfolio. Another thing is that once you get out of government and high-grade corporate bonds, there is credit risk. And if we go into this recession, let me rephrase that. When we go into this recession, which we're probably on the cusp of right now, but likely not in, you're going to see a lot of talk about credit risk, about these lower quality companies not being able to repay their bonds, which means you as a, as a bondholder of junk bonds, you might end up with 40% of return on your money or 60% or 80%, but you're unlikely to get 100% back of the principal you put in. So credit risk is all of a sudden gonna be a thing. Interest rate risk, that's the risk that interest rates continue to rise. They probably do have a little bit further to go, but if you have short-term bonds, they don't fall in value nearly as much as longer-term bonds. And then, Walter, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, cash is trash. You ever heard that? Oh, I, th I thought it was cash is king. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on who's talking, <laughs> you're right. At the bottom of the next of this stock market downturn, which I think is yet to come, cash is going to be king. When the market is going up relentlessly and interest rates are at zero, cash is trash because you'd rather have your money in risk assets and not in safe assets. Cash has been trash ever since 2009, basically, because every time the market gets into trouble, the Fed comes riding to the rescue by lowering interest rates, and Congress starts dropping money out of helicopters to people by the trillions, and interest rates have been basically at the zero level, really for the last 12 or 13 years. In Europe, interest rates were actually negative. And over the 5,000 or more years of, of recorded history, there is no record of negative interest rates until about 10 years ago. So that has been a grand experiment. And, and one of the reasons why the unwinding of that is why I think we have much, we have further to go downside in the stock market, but 
We talked about that last week in our discussion of PE ratios. But cash is actually now an asset class. It's, your, it's earning in a, in, a, in a money market account, in your brokerage account, is probably earning 2%, one5 to 3%, depending on which money market account you have. And when the stock market is down 3 or 5% and your money market fund is not down anything and it's earning interest, all of a sudden that becomes a valuable asset class, a valuable place to put your money while the stock market is trying to find a bottom. So if you have a 20 or 30 year look back, you would not say that kind of the takeaway is bonds have always been a shock absorber for your stock related portfolio. It's just not so much over the last three to four to five months since the rate, since the Fed has been raising rates so significantly. So a a risk averse portfolio might look like 60% bonds and 40% stocks. A balanced portfolio might look like 60% stock and 40% bonds. A growth portfolio might be 75% stock and 25% bonds. But all of those portfolios are going to have some bond component to them as a shock absorber. Your most aggressive portfolio might be 100% stock, 0% bonds and cash because they are willing to withstand the volatility on the downside to get significant growth when the market's going up, the economy is killing it, and these companies that they're investing in are growing very quickly. That's not the situation we find ourselves in today, but it might very likely be the situation that we find ourselves in six months from now, a year from now, or almost certainly two years from now. It always circles back to that same spot, doesn't it? Uh, Consider all of this conversation in this talk in the context of your own financial plan. And if you would like to discuss that in detail with uh, David Dickens and find out if bonds are a good fit for you or discover where those bonds are in your portfolio in the first place. Remember that conversation from earlier in the episode. Um, It's all part of the complete planning review. And that's a session that you can go through with David and the team at KC Financial Advisors anytime you'd like. Pick up the phone, give a call to David at 913-317-1414 to get in touch. That's 913-317-1414 or online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. That's CoverYourAssetsKC.com. You can find that contact information in the description of today's show, so it should be pretty easy for you to find there. And uh, get some help with your financial plan, your retirement future. Get those questions answered and make sure you're on the right track for all the different things that we discuss on these episodes, not just one element. You know, we talked on the previous episode about stocks. Today, we talked a little bit about bonds. We're covering different topics all the time. But you should know when you come in and visit with David, all of it gets covered in your financial plan. So uh, we we covered little bits and pieces as we go. But when you come in for that customized review of your plan, everything, every stone gets overturned and looked at. So just important to keep that in mind as well. Uh, David, thank you for the help on today's episode. Really enjoyed this. And uh, we'll look forward to another chat soon. Well, I'll look forward to it as well, Walter. We'll have something cooked up good for next week. All right. We'll be working on it. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody again next time right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Thanks for listening. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.